Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Happy New Year to everyone. Nice to see you all. Happy New Year. Uh, my name is Gabe Phillips. If we have not met, that is my wife. That is my beautiful little girl. And we have one on the way in June, which is very exciting. Um, if you are new to Life Change or haven't been around for a while, uh, we are part of a, a, a church that meets at Tableview and Milton. And the, one of our pastors, Mark, and his wife, Candace, they're in Durban at the moment this weekend. And they're in Durban at a church, a special church called Anthem. Anthem Church that we have been uh, a part of and friends, friends with for many, many years. And uh, they are up there because on, if you have not been following on social media, on Christmas Eve, um, the, the, the lead pastors of that church were on their way to church and they were involved in a car crash. And their 13-year-old daughter um, was, uh, was almost, almost died. She was uh, in a coma and the diagnosis was that she wouldn't make it past the next few days. And there was huge tragedy. So Mark, who uh, is best friends with the couple, he flew up there on the on Christmas Day and was at the, the hospital for the next three days with them, processing questions they never thought they'd have to process. As the diagnosis was, they don't think she'll live and at best she'll be in a vegetative state for the rest of her life. And had to process all of this. And uh, But the reason why Mark is there this Sunday was they put plans in place that if the worst did happen, that there would be a, Mark was, would be there this weekend to be able to help walk the church through this journey of, 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 of tragedy. The problem is that God wasn't following that script. Um, because, yeah, that, that amazing story, if you've been following on social media, has just exploded. It's literally been front-page news in Durban. In the Mercury newspaper, it's been front-page news as uh, the, the, the diagnosis the doctors gave was completely wrong. That's my child. I apologize. Um, but, uh, but this thing, love you, girl. She's asking for Gran or me? You want to listen? Oh, good. Great. Welcome to church. But uh, she, she, they just leave. They don't want to leave church, the kids. They just, I want to stay in church. I want to stay. But the amazing story there, this front page news, there's been a complete reversal. God has been amazing there where the diagnosis was she'll die or she'll be at, at the very best brain dead. This little girl is well and truly alive. She is uh, recovering at a rate that they still don't even, can't even medically understand. And the city is almost ground to a halt as they celebrated the, what God is doing in this little girl's life. It's amazing. So Mark's up there today, not with bad news or shepherding of people through a loss. He's celebrating a God of miracles. And I want to tell you today, whether, where, whether you are in the spectrum of faith. We are people who believe that God still does miracles. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm trusting that this year would be a year of miracles for you and I, that actually the things we read about in the Bible, we would see it happen in our lives. It's happening up in Durban in this story. And I want to see it more and more and more in everyday ones of our lives here. So it's very exciting. God is on the move. And speaking of moving, uh, my sermon title this morning is moving forward, moving forward, uh, flawless transition right there. But uh, the, the amazing thing around that, why I call this moving forward if you're taking notes or if you are just wanting a catchy title for, for an Instagram post that you put a blade of me. No, I'm joking. Is that moving forward is, I believe, that the innate desire of every single human heart. Every single human heart has this desire to change. They want to change. There's something inside of us that we want to change. We want to move forward with our lives, especially at this time of year. At this time of year, it seems like there's a heightened sense for people to make promises to progress. That actually, I don't want to be the same. I want to move. Maybe with you, you want to say you move forward from addictions, move forward from past habits, move forward from financial constraints, move forward from negative emotions or negative experiences. 
Now, I'm very much like you in this, that actually the other day, uh, in, it was holidays, driving in a one-lane road. I, I too wanted to move forward, but I, my path was impeded by a very slow driver. Uh, I won't mention the sex of the driver, but she was a woman. Anyway, um, <laughs> stick with me, stick with me. But I was driving, and I don't know about you, but something for me, when, when a driver is going 30 or 40 k's an hour on a one-lane road, it is the height of frustration for me. And I have to remind myself, Gabe, you're a Christian. Gabe, you're a pastor. Gabe, you're a Christian. <laughs> you're, you're a very noticeable Christian. You've got red hair. People will know if things go awry. But I'm trying to keep it all together. But you're trying to see, can I, can I go now? You know, just like, uh, now. And they seem to speed up just enough to, so you, ah, uh, frustration. Frustration was growing inside me, and eventually I, I managed to dramatically pull her out of the road, pull out in front of her, shaking my head as I went, showing my disapproval, saying, slow driving is as dangerous as fast driving. You know, you know that phrase. Uh, moved aggressively, and as I got to the, the traffic lights, they went orange and then very quickly red. So I had to slam on brakes. And up behind me comes 40 k's an hour lady, just smiling all the way, and I just sat there seething, you know. I wanted to show that that's not how you approach driving. You've got to be on the front foot. You've got to be moving forward. You've got to be taking ground. So I sat at the red light, revving. So you know what, as one does, saying, as you know what, and I was actually watching the green light on that side, so as soon as it goes orange, I'm ready to go. You know, you, you've got to be on the front foot, guys. It's 2019, you know. And uh, so I was doing this and glaring at her the, the whole while, you know, very frustrated still. And I'm just confessing here this morning. And... Uh, the amazing thing is, as the light went from red to green and signaling time to go, I, re- I dropped the handbrake and I revved hard, and the car was in neutral. <laughs> and I had to, I was going, creeping back, and I had to slam on brakes to stop hitting the 40k an hour, who waved politely again at me. <sighs> anyway. You know what, I tell this story because I think it might be some of our experiences as well. But I I believe that every single one of us wants to move forward in life. Every one of us wants to make progress. Every one of us wants change to come. But not many of us know or know the power to do it and ultimately to sustain that change. I think that's where most people fall short. So my big idea this morning, my thesis, if you will, is this one liner, and I hope it resonates deep in your hearts, is that our position determines our progress. Let me say it again. Our position determines our progress. Speaking of all of this, I want to tell you this morning, I'm so excited. I've got such faith in my heart that actually life changes Milnes. And I believe that every single one of us, because of Jesus, we are positioned for progress. We are positioned to move forward. And I want to help uh, convince you of this fact by the time we're done this morning. So speaking of progress, speaking about movement, let's stand to our feet. I'd love to pray for you. Father, as we stand this morning and as we actively engage our hearts with your word and your spirit, I pray would the forward momentum of the gospel be implanted deep in our hearts? Would it stir us afresh and would it move us forward from where we are to where you would have us to be? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you take your seat, say hi, five, say hi to five people around you. High five them if you want. Tell them. Your position for progress. Your position for progress this morning. This morning, this morning, um, this morning, I want to t- take us through a, an Old Testament narrative. We're going old school. This is old school faith right here. We're going old school. We're going to the Book of Genesis. Believe it or not, in January, and uh, I want to tell you us a story that revolves around a family of four. 
the mum and dad's names are Isaac and, and Rebecca. The, their twin sons are Esau and Jacob. And this narrative begins in Genesis chapter 25 and runs all the way through the book of Genesis. You can see his fingerprints all the way, actually through the Old Testament to the New. But this profound story, we introduce to it, we pick it up with the, the birth of these twins, Esau and Jacob. And I don't know about you, have you ever read the Bible? And you, as you're reading it, you, it feels like God is speaking to me. Anyone ever had that before? Well, this week I had that. I was reading this Bible and I started to read about Esau. It said, Esau was red and hairy. And I was like, Lord, which way must I go? Tell me. You're speaking to me. And you know, as I kept reading about Esau and the Bible's description of Esau, I realized that God was definitely speaking to me. Why? Because it describes Esau as an alpha male. You know, just picture me, guys, if you want. You know? He was the Bear grills of their day. He was the jock equivalent. This was a, a man among men. This was an incredible man, this guy called Esau. And Esau, I can imagine if he was in our present modern day, he would have been at a renowned southern suburbs all-boys school. He would have risen through the ranks with the favor of his of teachers, the favor of his peers. He would have become head boy. And, and, and people would have been amazing at, at his oratory gifts. He gave speeches. He played first-team rugby. He would move on to UCT and, and go almost semi-pro. He could have gone pro with rugby, but gave it up because he was going to study a doctorate. And, you know, he's just that guy. He's, just, he's got it all together. And, and actually, it was a hit with the ladies as well. So as you read scripture, this man didn't need to, he doesn't need to click his fingers and the woman was swooning all around him. Red and hairy still works. I'm just saying. But then as we keep reading on, we see Esau, the first, the eldest, the firstborn, this, this, this alpha male where the story just seems it's like the golden boy or, or the auburn boy, whatever, I don't know, whatever color you want to call it. But then up, out comes the room just behind him, his twin brother named Jacob. And if you keep reading, Jacob is the antithesis of Esau. Like almost the, the exact opposite, where Esau was loud, vivacious, out there, uh, bombastic at times. Uh, Jacob was quiet, reserved, in the corner of the room, observing things. If Esau was dad's lad and his dad's favorite, and they used to, hey, my boy, nice to see you, and, and, and play catch in the afternoons, Jacob was definitely mommy's boy. Scripture and, and actually the commentators on the scripture would have told us that, that Jacob would have been about 60 years old, still living at home with mom and dad. Just that's the type of guy we're dealing with here. And this was a guy, Jacob, I can imagine, who would never be found at Builder's Warehouse on a Saturday afternoon browsing the DIY aisles. He would never be doing that. He would be much better suited at home fighting over the TV remote to watch reruns of MasterChef. Go Sashi. Go Sashi. Anyway. But, you know, as you read scriptures, keep reading. This is the Bible we're dealing with. us, not making this up. Jacob was playing bad with girls. What do I mean by that? When he packed up the courage to go and find himself a wife, he, he sent a servant ahead of him to go scout out the land, and he peered and watched the, 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 the woman as it went by behind a rock. Before he spotted the one he liked, Rachel, that he wanted to lo- uh, fall in love with, that he wanted to marry, he goes up to her. His first interaction with the girl he's going to marry was that he kissed her, and the Bible says, and then he wept aloud. <laughs> Let me tell you, I've tried that. It doesn't work, guys. It doesn't work. This was Jacob. But more seriously, Scripture points a, a picture of Jacob being deceitful. This was a guy who was manipulative. This was a guy who was a con artist, a profound liar, a boy who potentially would have fought for dad's affections. And you see, as we read the Scripture, you start realizing that even the n- narrator of Genesis, whether it was Moses or somebody else, the narrator of Genesis favors Esau. 
the way he writes, he's almost swooning over Esau. Esau surely should be the, the, the great character in the story. And he's trying, there's no good story you find of Jacob. Jacob is the leftover character. He's like the Hawkeye of the Avengers. That one, no, anyway, sorry, this is Carrie moving on. Just doesn't make it until the last movie. Anyway, we're moving on. That was just a, no one watched Avengers? Anyway, let's move on. Sheesh, I thought it, more people go, yeah, I get it. I see Jacob now. But we catch up with the story in all seriousness in, the, in, the, in chapter 27 where we find the dad, Isaac, the dad of this whole story. And the Bible describes him in three ways at this, this time. It says Isaac was old, blind, and about to die. And at this stage, he calls Esau, his firstborn, his favorite, the, the red and hairy alpha male, Esau, the one who's, who got, who's at the forefront of everything. He says, Esau, I want you to come in here, please. And Esau gets called in, and, and Isaac says to him, Esau, I want you to go out. I want you, you're a renowned hunter. I want you to go out, kill a few animals, come back, and I want you to make an incredible bride, like just you know how to do it, medium rare, perfect. And I want you to put all your perfect spices, your Robertson spices on it. And I want you to bring that meal that I love so much. I want you to bring that meal in because then I'll eat it. And now just before I die, then I'll bless you. I want to bless you. Now we need to take a pause at this juncture because when we hear the words blessing, a father saying, I want to bless you, it's not like how we know it, the dumbed down version of how we know it's here in our modern day context, where we say it as a punctuation after a sneeze, bless you. Or, or at the best we say, I want to bless you and you buy them a free coffee. No, that, that's cool. That's nice. But in this, this instance here, blessing, the firstborn blessing was so, so much more. This was the thing that Esau would have been waiting his whole life for, this moment. So when his dad says, come in, I want to bless you, his heart would have been pounding through his chest. He thought, this is the moment. This is the moment where the future gets opened up for me, where I get to walk into an inheritance like never before. I get to take steps forward. I've been waiting and waiting for this day, and now it's here. Why? Because this firstborn blessing, if you're looking for the, the real word for it, is the primogeniture, is the, the blessing where a father in the Israel culture would bless the firstborn son. And that blessing, that firstborn blessing would contain three things. Number one, After that moment, Esau would have carried the leadership and the headship over all the family. Every one of the family's affairs would have, decisions would have been laid at the feet of Esau. He would make the decisions of where they're going to live, what they're going to spend, how they're going to eat, how they're going to move, what's going to happen to the family. Esau would get the leadership deal. Secondly, with that, the blessing, he would also get a double portion of the family inheritance. Isaac was a wealthy man. So when it comes to distributing of the finances at the, the will and testament, Esau would have got two for Esau, one for everyone else. He would have got a double portion of the blessing. And thirdly, and almost most importantly for the spiritual people, Esau would have got the covenant favor of God upon him. Because actually this was a family that came from the line of Abraham, where Abraham had got the covenant favor of God, a God who spoke to us, a God who leads us. And it was handed down to Isaac, and Isaac saying, I'm going to give you the blessing of God that's going to go to you and your line. This is a moment of leadership, of, of inheritance, of covenant favor, spiritual, emotional, financial blessing was going to be bestowed upon Esau. When we pick up the story, we find there's another character, the, the mum of the story, Rebecca. And she's listening, eavesdropping at this conversation. And she, she has this conversation going on and she rushes out to Jacob, her favorite. And uh, she said to Jacob, Jacob, things are going awry here at the moment. Your dad's about to give the whole family inheritance, the whole blessing, the future to Esau. And she says, listen, I know you came second out the room second, but what is a few milliseconds? Surely you, you should be the one. You should be the one who takes the family forward. And Jacob says, mom, you know that I know that, but this is not the way it works. The mom says, no, no, I've got a plan. 
the, the mom said, Rebecca said, uh, Jacob, I want you to go out. Go find two goats. Bring them in. I'll cook them. I'll go and raid Esau's spice cupboard. I know just the way he makes those steaks. I know just the way that he makes them for your dad. And I'm going to do that for you. While I'm doing that, I want you to go into Esau's cupboard. I want you to get one of his jackets, put them on. I want you to go raid the, 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 the cosmetics and get the, get the cologne and spray it on liberally of Esau. And then I'm, we're going to get some goat here and we're going to put it on your face. We're going to put it on your arms. We're going to make that clean shaven look, look hirsute and hairy. Are you ready for this? And Jacob's like, yeah, that sounds good. But then what? He says, no, then you're going to take that food and you're going to go into your dad. You're going to pretend to be Esau and you will get the blessing. Jacob's like, mom, 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 this doesn't sound good. You know, she says, mom, I hear your thing. I love that blessing. I want that as well. You know me. I want that. But if this goes awry, I'll not walk out of there with, a, with just a lack of blessing. I'll receive a curse upon me. My life won't be moving forward. It'll be actually moving backwards. This will be the worst thing that could happen to me. And Rebecca then says something quite profound. She says, listen, Jacob, if that happens, if the worst thing happens, let the curse fall on me. So with that at his mom at his disposal, he goes, okay, I'll do this. But you see, this is so profound because at this moment, Rebecca is playing on the two weaknesses that have dogged Jacob's life. Lying and the struggle for blessing. You see, there's been a fight to move forward in Jacob's life from the very beginning. He came, the scripture tells us he came out of the womb, second to Esau, but grasping at Esau's heel. He was, from the very beginning, from the first breath, he was trying to make his way forward in life. If you keep reading the narrative, you'll find the very last story of, of Jacob in the, in, the, in the book of Genesis is him wrestling with an angel and holding on to the angels. The angel tries to leave and he's saying, don't, I'm not letting go until you bless me. His story begins with him grasping for blessing. It ends with him grasping for blessing. And right in the middle is him dressing up and trying to con his dad out of a blessing. This is at the very heart of Jacob. I would like to suggest this morning that actually I believe it's at the heart of every single one of us here. And that we're more like Jacob than we first imagined. Because I find that this is our pain, that we're actually we're never truly fully revealing ourselves. We're always hiding our pain, hiding our internet history, hiding our financial statements, hiding our shameful secrets. All the while desperate for approval in the future. Desperate for a way to move forward in our lives. But then we pick up the story again. We keep moving. and We see Jacob. After he's followed his mom's instructions, he's standing there, his heart beating, his, his palms sweating as he's holding the dish he's prepared. He's put on the, the hair. He's put on the cologne. He's put on the jacket of his older brother, staying at the door going, I'm staying at the precipice of blessing and cursing. This thing could go either way. And as he pulls back the curtain of the tent and takes one step staggeringly into the, the, the semi-gloom and his dad, who's old, blind, and about to die, says, Esau, you're, you're back so soon. You're back so soon. Wow, you're a better hunter than I first imagined. And Jacob, trying to lower his voice to his brother's, uh, brother, brother's range, he says, yes, dad, it's me, me Esau. And his dad sits up, a little bit confused, trying to work out, is it because of my senility? Uh, am I losing it a little bit? But he goes, he goes, that sounds like Jacob. That voice it sounds like my second born. But he's a bit confused. And he doesn't want to embarrass himself in his old age. So he says, he says, Come closer, Esau. Come closer. But he's a bit confused and concerned. He says, I, I want to feel you, my son. And as Jacob nervously comes, puts the plate down, comes closer, his dad starts to run his hands across his face and he feels hair. Ah. His dad starts to run his hands on the arms, hairy arms. He goes, okay, cool. It sounds like Jacob, but that feel, that, that rests my heart. It feels like Esau. He says, okay, boy, bring, bring me, thank goodness, bring, bring me the food. Jacob says, yes, dad, I'll do that. Again, the dad's like, that voice. That voice sounds like Jacob. I'm a bit, that, that sound, I'm nervous here. 
Okay, Esau, bring, bring, me your, bring me that food. So Jacob puts it there nervously, and the dad is very concerned now. But he takes a spoon of the food, and immediately the spices kick in, the, the memories of the meal that Esau has cooked from over the years. And he goes, sounds like Jacob, but heck, that tastes like Esau. That is Esau's cooking. I know, I'd know it from anywhere. This is Esau's meal. So he's a bit more happy now. And then the next thing, as, Esau, as Jacob removes the plate of food, he says, I hope you enjoy that, Dad. Son, he's like, wait a minute, that, that voice though. It's, that is Jacob's voice. It sounds like Jacob. But as he's about to say something, he catches a whiff of the cologne. He catches a whiff of that jacket as it goes past. He goes, okay, that does sound like Jacob, but you know what? That, that smell, I would know the smell of my boy anyway. That is Esau. That is Esau. So he is now convinced. He thinks, maybe I'm losing it. It sounds like Jacob, but it definitely feels like Esau. It, that meal tastes like Esau makes it, and it smells like Esau. Come, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you the firstborn blessing. And Jacob nervously stands there. And the father says, I'm going to give you leadership of the home. I'm going to give you uh, the double portion of inheritance. I'm going to give you covenant favor with God. You have the fullness. And in that moment, he wrenches over the future. And he almost metaphorically pushes a staggering Jacob into a future he did not deserve or did not earn that he conned his way into. The story carries on. And almost as in a, in a in dramatic effect, Jacob leaves with a blessing, smiling, trembling, going, running to tell his mom. Esau comes just behind him with the stew. And Esau walks in and says, Dad, I'm here with your stew. I'm here for my blessing. And Isaac starts to tremble as he goes, everything starts to click. And actually something's happened. Something's happened. And he says, no, 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 my son. No, no, no. You were just here. I've just tasted your food. I've just given the blessing. And Esau starts to panic. He drops the plate. It's, it's tears. He's, he's, he's begging. He's saying, no, Dad. Surely not. What have you done? No. He said, I gave it to, I gave, I think I gave it to Jacob. I think I gave it to the wrong son. But he said, but, but this is a profound thing. He says, he says, the crook took the blessing. But the blessing has to stand. And Esau falls to his knees in distress. Now, you may be wondering this morning, what is going on here with this story? I read it a few times. I'm going, what am I supposed to take away from this? <laughs> what, what, what is the, the moral of this tale? Because as I read it, there's only villainous characters. There's only parents favoring children. There's only wretched mothers trying to crook out situations. There's guys who feeble characters trying to take the easy way out. Well, I started to make a bit more sense of it as I kept reading the scriptures. I stumbled upon a passage in Exodus chapter 3. Now, Exodus is the next book on in the Bible. And it seems like a far cry from the tale of two boys. But actually, we pick up Exodus 3 with a man named Moses who's on the run. He was the prince of Egypt. But he's murdered somebody and he's on the run for his life. And he runs to the back end of the desert where he spends 40 years of his life. In a place called Midian, near Sinai, it's the, it's the backwater place of the world. He's sitting there, he's, he's feeling sorry for himself for 40 years. He's standing with, at, a, at a distance from his future, not having the courage to go and take it because he's been disqualified, he's been left out, he's been forgotten. But it comes at this moment where it's in that situation, in the desert, when he's feeling at the lowest of lows. He walks and he sees a burning bush. And it's his interest is peaked. He walks closer towards it, and he, and, he, and he stands there, and, and he hears a voice that comes out of it. And the voice says, Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. As he does it, he takes off his shoes, and the voice comes out that says something very, very profound. The voice says, introducing himself, says, I am God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, that might not resound with you yet, but that actually is the, the, the words that every Israelite from that moment on described God as, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To this very day, Israelites call themselves, we, are, we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But this is the first time God has introduced himself 
And as the first time in Scripture you see the words Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of those three together is in Exodus 3 at the back end of a desert. Now, I can imagine Moses, who's been well-versed by his, his mother his, uh, of, of, of the history, his, 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 his Israel Jewish uh, lineage, and I can imagine as he hears that he goes, God of Abraham, yes, the God of Abraham is here. Because he understands Abraham. Abraham was the, was the man of faith in their line. The man who ripped them out of the past into the future. The man who believed God and was credited to, to him as righteous. The man who was, when he was as good as dead, believed God and a seed was implanted inside of him that he put inside his wife that revived a dead womb that launched a generation to come alive. This was Abraham. And he's like, yes, the God of Abraham. I get that. Then he has, I am the God of Isaac. He goes, yes, Isaac, I get that. Isaac was the child, the, produ- the, the product of that faith. He was the son that was given, the son of promise, the one that shows that God is faithful to his word. Yes, I believe you're the God of Isaac. And then he hears, I'm the God of Jacob. And he goes, what the heck? Because actually, if we follow Jacob's story, Jacob's name gets changed at the end of the story by God himself. He says, you'll no longer be known by Jacob. You'll be known as Israel. But This story happens after that name change, and God says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, not Israel, but Jacob, the trickster, the con artist, the thief, the liar. Now, this is so profound because this is shocking. This would would actually shock us. This would shock us that actually in every religious bonus would shock us that actually God would identify himself not just with Abraham and Isaac, but with Jacob. Wouldn't even, he, would, he would identify himself with the worst of this person. The worst elements of that person. God says, I'm that God. It's here in the desert with no way to move forward. That, that stuttering, murdering, fearful Moses gets introduced to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, let me tie this all together. Is that actually as I keep reading in scripture, I realize that this, the story of a father and son, and this, this the father blessing the wrong son, the wrong son getting the blessing. It's not the, the, the last time that we see it appear in Scripture. Actually, we find it in the Gospels when we see a father and his son named Jesus start to interact. You see, Scripture tells us about this man named Jesus, tells us again and again that Jesus was the firstborn among all creation. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. John 3.16 tells us that Jesus is the only begotten son of the father. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our older brother. Jesus is the rightful heir to inheritance, blessing, favor, and authority from God. Jesus is the ultimate, the firstborn son. And actually the father was besotted with him. So much so that all the way through the gospel, you see when, when everyone else addresses God, Jesus says, my father. He says, Abba, dad. And this infuriates the religious. This is what got him crucified. Going, How dare you think that you can get in on the blessing? You're, you're, you're even not even from the, the right line. You're from Nazareth. What are you doing? No, 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 no. You haven't even, you're not even part of this. What are you doing? How can you dare you think you can sneak in on the blessing like this? But it's only one time that Jesus doesn't refer to God as my father or father or any derivative of that. It's on the cross. When as Jesus hangs there exposed, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, why this is profound is that Jesus became the curse so that the blessing of the firstborn could come to the secondborns, to the illegitimates, to the crooks, to those who didn't deserve a future. Actually, if you keep reading, you understand that Jesus is our true Rebecca. When Rebecca, in a failure, said, let the curse fall on me, Jesus in his strength said, let the curse fall on me. This is the understanding of the gospel that Jesus dressed up like us. He put on our past, our sin, our emotional instability, our rejection, so we could be clothed like him. 
Let me make this very real. It gets better and better. Today, here in 2019, you're sitting here, the precipice of blessing and cursing, of future or past, of moving forward or staying exactly where you are, or trying hard but getting at the end and saying, well, next year we'll give it another go. You're standing at the precipice of this, and the enemy, God is there with his hand ready to bless you, but the enemy goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute. God, let me tell you about these guys. And Satan comes and he says, you can't bless this guy. You can't bless Gabe. You can't bless Brett. You can't bless these people here. Let me tell you why, God. They're sinners. The enemy goes on and says, you, you can't give him a good marriage. He's crying out for a good marriage, but he's been doing it for 17 years. He hasn't changed his temper yet. He, and all, all, or her or adultery and cheating. He, they can't have a good marriage. You cannot bless them. They're sinners. You cannot give that person true intimacy that they're crying out for. Why? Because they've suffered at abuse. They've given abuse. They've been addicted to pornography. They, you cannot give them true intimacy. You can't provide a future for those guys. You can't give them a future for them because they can't provide a future for their kids. They've made promises but reneged on them and gone with bad decision after bad decision after a bad decision. You can't bless them, God. It goes on and Satan would say, you, could, you can't give them a good relation with their kids because they've hurt them too bad. How can you do that? And the father, I can imagine, sits back over your and my life and he goes like this. As the enemy, the accuser, starts to bring up all the facts that disqualify you from moving forward, that disqualify me from moving forward, all of them true. The father goes, yes, that sounds like a sinner. But let me feel him. And the father starts to feel and says, but that feels like my firstborn son. He goes, yeah, Satan, no, no, you can't bless him. You can't, no, yeah, yeah, that, you're right. That sounds like a sinner. But let me taste. That, that taste sounds, tastes like the blood of the lamb that was shed for, shed on their behalf. <laughs> you're right. But it sounds like a sinner. No, 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 you can't bless him. You can't give him a future. You don't know what they've done. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a sinner. But let me smell them. Oh, it smells like forgiveness and the redemption of the blood of the Lamb. You see, this is what the Father does in our lives. The Father responds to us not based on what we have done, but based on the firstborn obedience of Jesus. Let me tell you today that you want progress, you want blessing, you want to move forward in your life. It's not your promises, your pledges, or your personal attempts. It's your position that determines your progress. I want to say to you, stop moving towards your sin. Stop moving towards your pain. Stop moving towards your disqualification. Stop moving to your secrets. Stop moving to your excuses. Run to the healer. Run to the healer. Because this morning, I believe with such confidence in my heart, that I look left, look right across this room, there are a whole bunch of Moseses sitting here who may be feeling like they're sitting at the back end of a desert, far away from what God has got for them, disqualified to make a difference, disqualified to make a move forward, disqualified to be used by God, because I have been, you don't know what I have done, I've gone so far, I've spent so long away from running with God, God has got for me. There's a whole lot of Moses here who feel disqualified, fearful, and full of excuses, but I want to tell you what God says to you today. He rocks up on this day, the 13th of January, steps in your story, and he says this, I am the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, the con artist, the adulterer. I'm the God of the fearful. I'm the God of the cheater. I'm the God of the emotional unstable. I'm the God of the the ungenerous. I'm the God of the angry man. I'm the God of the, the wicked person. I'm the God of the cheater. I am the God of Gabriel. I am the God of Jacob. God declares in your story that he is the God of the second borns who've been disqualified. Let me tell you this morning. With such confidence as I land. Two implications for you and I. As I read Exodus chapter 3. 
God says to Moses, as he before he introduced himself, as this, I'm the God who's going to give you a future. He's going to open the murder, a future for the murderer to go and lead the nation of Israel. He says this, Moses, take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. I want to tell you, number one today, we have to, if we're going to move forward, we have to take off our shoes. What I mean by that is that God cannot bless who you are pretending to be. Stop dressing up your sin and calling it something else. See, this is what true worship is. Repentance is actually not now trying to get our lives all right. Our repentance is bringing our sin and saying, here it is, God. I'm not going to hide it any longer. I want to tell you, take off your shoes. Come and worship him. Take off the shoes that have been holding you back to your past, that have given you comfort in the desert, but not going to serve you well as you lead God's people into the future. The shoes that have worked well as you've hidden your disqualification, but actually I'm going to let go of those things because I'm going to trust that God has got something for me. Firstly, take off your shoes, but secondly and ultimately, put on Christ alone. I want to tell you, no one can move forward except those who find their refuge in our older brother, Jesus. Root yourself in him every day. This is how we can advance with confidence. And this is the only way you can move forward is if you put on, allow the older brother Jesus to clothe you with his righteousness. This morning, I want to tell you, your position determines your progress. There's only one place you can be to move forward. Are you in Christ or you're walking in your own agenda? Today, make a move to move forward to allow him to clothe you. Can we stand to our feet, please? As we land, I'd love to pray a blessing, the blessing of the Father over you. The blessing of the Father over, the blessing of the firstborn over your year ahead, over your marriage, over your futures. If you want to receive that, lift your hands with me this morning. Father, this morning I look out at a whole bunch of secondborns, a whole bunch of disqualified people, a whole bunch of people who have dropped the ball. But I thank you overriding every single one of them right now. As you look at them, you say, yeah, that sounds like sinners, but it feels like my son. Yeah, that sounds like sinners, but that tastes like the blood of the lamb. Yeah, that sounds like sinners, but that smells like forgiveness and redemption. That sounds like sinners, but because of Jesus, I'm going to open up futures they could never imagine. I thank you, Father God, right now, disqualified people are hearing the qualifying voice of the Father. The qualifying voice of the Father. The qualifying voice of the Father into marriages. The qualifying voices of the Father into futures, into addictions, into pasts, into fears, into anxieties. The qualifying voice of the Father saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I thank you today, God, we choose to take off our shoes and clothe ourselves in Christ alone. That is our resolve this year. For us to move forward, our position will determine our progress. And because of you, Jesus, every single heart here is qualified to move forward. I thank you, Jesus, in every single area with the blessing of the Father fall upon us now in a full, weighty measure. In Jesus' name I pray.